0: For those tough wake-ups, stats are misleading. It's Marsh and Mellow. Nature
1: foul. Wake up to serious sports talk. Key
0: fist is in.
1: It's Marsh. The CFL baby. And Mellow. I love Canada. It's Marsh and Mellow. This is football. For those tough wake-ups, they're heating up. It's Marsh and Mellow. Coming your way, Hamilton. Wake up to serious sports talk. Gas tank gonna be full. It's Marsh in canada and mellow why not eh
0: it's martian mellow thank you canada
1: everybody's doing it i almost just voluntarily ripped my face off with taking a sip of coffee that's way too hot good morning everyone (laughs) and welcome to martian mellow here uh at the end of week number 15 of the canadian football league season on november 15th no less congratulations everybody uh you're halfway through november do you remember anything that's happened in the first 15 days of november i don't uh, and that's because for me i don't know why this is november is always the month that just doesn't happen just it starts and then it ends and then <laughs> it's gone and then someone's like do you remember november i'm like no it's i have no recollection whatsoever what's the month for you that just blows past
0: oh oh that's a good question um... there's so much
1: hype around december that november is just like yeah whatever we're just we're just doing this thing together try and get through and get ourselves yeah. to december and you go from the hype of Halloween November's just this in-between month where there's a lot of great football to be played but it's also the month where it's just like I don't know comes it goes and never really feels like it makes that much impact in my life
0: for know? me it's probably like February hmm. the only reason why it's February is just because the way the month always lays out for me so like my anniversary is early early February yep then the Super Bowl and then I'm like <laughs> oh it's March yeah. because who cares about the rest of february <laughs>
1: speaking right? of which by the way speaking of which how did the uh how the wedding situation go I, uh, I made me so happy when i saw danielle's <laughs> tweet that said come dance with me i'm like <laughs> that was the highlight of my entire weekend was kyle <laughs> kyle trying to play up what happened on this show to like give our listeners and followers something fun and there were so many people that were like this is so great i love this so it worked like good job by you yeah but i was like I don't know if Danielle is on the inside of the joke where, like, he's not actually trying to ignore you. He's just doing this because he wants to watch a little bit of the football game. But also yeah. because he knows how this is going to make our football following fans and lovers feel. So, <laughs>
0: yeah, um, no, it was uh, the wedding was uh, was really good. Um, good. Thankfully, the way and we'll get into it, thankfully, the way the game played out. Yeah, I did not really uh, have to tune in to the second half or at least. I would say after five minutes into the third
1: quarter i was like oh, okay this game's done <laughs> yeah uh, that is fair we'll get into all of that for you in just a second but first we want to say thank you as always to our good friends over at fox 40 of course we are brought to you by Fox 40, helping you return to play safely this year with their latest innovations. They got the Fox 40 Tri-Layer Whistle Mask and the Fox 40 Electronic Whistle to check out these products and much, much more. Go to fox40shop.com and use that promo code CFP15 at checkout to get yourself 15% off of your order. And I'm just going to say this little uh, little teaser that Kyle doesn't even know about yet because this has just been me trying to formulate what this might look like. Might be doing a great Cup event with Sada City Brewing. Oh, ooh. maybe maybe Great Cup Friday, maybe Great Cup trivia, maybe at Merritt Brewing in downtown Hamilton, maybe in collaboration with Sports Talk Winnipeg so that they can bring out all of their bomber friends. Uh
0: it, it sounds it sounds really good. <laughs> I usually ask this uh to you every uh every Great Cup it seems. What are your uh travel accommodations uh, for the Great Cup? <laughs>
1: uh my bet. Uh, Yes, (laughs) Uh, that'll be very, very nice to have this year and in two thousand twenty three. And I I honestly, like, I'll say this as a a new dad, I've never been happier to have the Grey Cup in my own town. Like, that's the biggest thing for me. Is I I just I can't imagine doing what I've done in 2018-2019 for Calgary and Edmonton, where I'm gone for what feels like two out of the three weeks where it's like i'm in montreal for a playoff game for the week or i'm in ottawa and then we fly to saskatchewan for two days and then we fly back and then we're out to edmonton and then like i, I straight up could not not see my kid for that period of time it would drive me absolutely yeah nuts. it would drive me nuts so i'm very very thankful to have the great cup i don't know how like guys go to the olympics i, I and don't stuff either and cover that event <laughs> i i've honestly i've thought a lot about it lately kyle where i'm thinking hey danielle the microwave yeah it's enough okay yeah i I hear the beeping danielle i mean god i mean we're trying to do a show i mean have some respect i mean it's 6 a.m like you're getting in the i'm just kidding Danielle. it's fine um but yeah i've thought a lot about it lately people that uh you know whether it's professional athletes or coaches i've actually talked with mike benavides about this uh because we, we have a friendly relationship go back and forth once in a while mm-hmm. and, and one of the first things that I spoke with him about not to get you know too deep early in the morning all this but one of the first things that I spoke to him about when we first kind of became friendly was he loves checking in hey how's the family doing which totally I mean it <laughs> makes sense why everybody loves playing for that guy yeah but, but he checked in was like how's the family How's the and I'm like man it's tough like I love I love being around my son so much and he goes dude you should try coaching he's like he's like i don't see my family for months at a time and it's it's been tough on my family at times and i can't imagine what that is like where you're so goal driven and you're, you're successful at your craft and you're respected but you go home at the end of the day and when you turn off all the game film and all the meetings and all the you're just like man i wish i was hanging out with my family right now i don't know how those people do it yeah um,
0: playing in the cfl too right for all the american guys a lot of them yes don't see their family all the time right now thankfully at least on the kid's situation um the cfl does go through the summer right so like i remember speedy b when we were down at ticats practice every day um speedy beast kid um and when it was the summer would just Mm -hmm. come up here and he was at practice every day um so they're fortunate from that aspect um that it doesn't run september to february when their kids are in school um but yeah it's 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 one of the things that maybe fans overlook that they are away from their families um but yeah i can only imagine when you throw all your focus you know into the sport of football and sometimes you have to travel because of it that it is hard and it wears on you
1: uh yeah i also think brandon banks leads the entire cfl in man i miss my kid tweets because <laughs> speedy will just tweet it out yeah like, once every two weeks where he's like i really wish i was i was just at home right now like i'm just hanging out with him for sure but and also say this like I, I think it's interesting that you humanize cfl athletes in this way especially the american guys being away from their families uh because the Kyle Beach story with everything that happened around the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. Th- there was such a great post by Matt Nickel, who's you know, Ticats Performance Director and uh, creator of Biosteel and on and on and on. And he sent out screenshots. I don't know if you saw this, Kyle, when it happened. but So Matt Nickel sent out four screenshots on Twitter the day that Rick Westhead and TSN broke the Kyle Beach, I guess, didn't break it, but that they they gave him the platform and they did the interview that kind yeah. of shook, shook up the hockey world. And he sent out four screenshots of people, journalists, sports media, who were covering uh, the Chicago Blackhawks, who were essentially saying, Kyle Beach, bust. Kyle Beach, what a failure of a draft pick. What an idiot. What an awful way to uh, you know, start off your career. Or he's never going to make anything. Or he doesn't have the. And it was like, he basically sent it out and goes, um, "Like they're humans. Like, we have no idea what's happening in the background. Even, I mean, Lewis, and again, I'm not throwing anything out there, but Lewis Ward missing a bunch of kicks, that was my first thought because I've trained myself a little bit more with each year that I've covered the CFL to go, okay, there's no reason Lewis Ward should miss that many kicks in that many games. I hope he's okay. Like, I hope everything's okay with, and I'm not suggesting that it's not. It's just my thought is no longer just that guy's shit, I hate him. It's like, I hope he's okay. I hope there's not something that's really weighing on him in that spot. But but I thought that was really informative by Matt Nickel when he sent that out.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, there's certain aspects to that that you know I'm very aware of mm-hmm. um when we worked at TSN doing this show, um, that I don't mention it because they are human, right? So for example, my entire time working at TSN and even on this show. I will never bring up how much money a guy makes and the fact that he's not living up to it. The reason is, yeah, the player signed that contract. The team decided to give him that contract. Right. What's he going to say? No, nah, give me less. No, <laughs> it's not his fault he got the contract that he he got. Now, I can make a, you know, a comment on how the production is going. Yep. Right. But I'm not going to correlate that back to, oh, he makes 11 million dollars a season, and he's a bust. Like, this, it, this not a thing for me. Really? Now there are salary cap implications and things like that. But again, that goes back to management. It never goes on the player. Yes. Um, at least in my eyes, a lot of people don't look at it that way. I do. So, uh,
1: here I'll throw these last two things at you before we move on and get into the games the weekend. Uh, These are just questions that popped up in my mind throughout the weekend. Okay, first, when you're riding the GO train, do you ride it with or against the direction that you are traveling? Because I I cannot ride a train with my back facing the way that I am going. I have to be having myself facing towards the direction (laughs) I'm going. It drives me. I, I actually can't do it. How do you experience go train travel? I just need. An I mean, answer on I do. This. I do it both ways. It doesn't oh, bother me. I couldn't do it. Um, <laughs> and then the other thing I wanted to ask you about is, what is? Uh, how do I frame this? What would you be willing to give up in order to go viral? Okay, and and, and I don't mean this in a, <laughs> I don't mean this in a life in a life sense. My okay? dignity. Right. So I, I don't mean this in a life sense. I mean this in a football sense. Is. Is a a a fifteen yard penalty? You're like whatever. That's fine. The media coming after you for he's selfish. He's uh, a bad person. Whatever. For you know, you go viral, but you do something wacky like Joe Horn when he whipped out the cell phone. Yeah, and it's like forever. That's the moment that is attached to that guy's career. And you're saying like it follows him around of like selfish and and uh, doesn't care about his teammates. He's willing to take a penalty and all all these kind of things. And the reason I bring this up is yesterday in the Five minutes that I had any NFL games on, Cam Newton scores his first touchdown for Carolina and immediately rips off his helmet. And as somebody who works in and around the Canadian Football League, I'm like, oh, they're allowed to do that now? I, I feel like the NFL's not. And I'm like, oh, there's the flag. Yeah, no, they're not allowed to do that. That's not a thing. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, the NFL's obviously slashed down all the taunting rules and everything else. So I looked at it for a second and I was like, oh, ah, okay, there it is. Uh, but he ends up taking that. And I, Again, Cam, I don't know how to frame this other than to say Cam Newton very clearly knows the rules of the National Football League and knows he can't take his helmet off. He knows that when he scores, he's going to take off his helmet. I have a weird feeling he didn't go to Matt Rule and say, hey, if I score a touchdown, I'm going to take my helmet off and cost you a 15-yard penalty. And Rule was like, do you, buddy? Love it. (laughs) Love it. Let's get after it. So Cam has this, and I don't know if it's spur of the moment. I doubt it because Cam seems like a very predetermined person. But applying it, regardless of whether it's NFL or CFL, I was just interested to have a quick discussion here on what would you be willing to accept in order to go viral? Because Cam is trying to cultivate a moment there to announce, "I am back in the National Football League. I'm back with the Carolina Panthers, and I'm back to being Superman. I'm back to being me," and he wants that to go viral. I I listened to a podcast recently where somebody who works in around the NBA was talking about Shaquille O'Neal, and it's like Shaq has this thing where even though he's incredibly likable, Shaq is constantly begging to be liked. And he'll be sitting during the breaks of the NBA on TNT reportedly and he'll say to Ernie or Kenny he'll be like watch this I'm going to go viral. He'll be like watch I know how to do this. He'll be like hey Kenny when you go to do your thing on the on the jump I'm going to race you and I'm going to fall down. Like Shaq has grown up in entertainment and Hollywood and all these things with and he he understands how the game is played in order to go viral. I think there's a little bit of that in Cam Newton. But when he's doing that, like, I don't care if it's your old team. There's a lot of new people there. He came back to his team. And the first thing he does is, yeah, score a touchdown, but also cost me 15 yards. And I just, I'm wondering at what point is there like the line where it's like, "Ah, you know what, that's really not worth it. Because for all the columns that could have been Cam Newton, he's back. Oh my God, he looks like the secret weapon the Carolina might need. Maybe they'll be able to challenge for the division and on and on. Instead, you know that like 30% of those articles just turned into Cam Newton doesn't care about anyone else and he's only about yeah. himself. I and mean, I was like, I don't know if that's worth it for him to just have people like tweeting about him.
0: And again, the result of the game matters, right? They won. Yeah. Um, but if it was a close game and he does that, obviously we're having a different conversation. Um, I just found it funny that he decided to take the 15-yard penalty uh, by taking his helmet off, yelling, I'm back. And he was the backup quarterback yesterday um yeah you know what do you have the, three passing attempts now
1: he did score a touchdown he was the red zone guy
0: yeah essentially that's what it was right well, uh, was it the walker? only, only it was reason the starting
1: the only reason i knew that he played in the game was because i was watching nfl red zone and that's the only <laughs> place that he was doing anything so yeah. so that's that's how i saw it. but yeah it was june jones boy pj walker from the houston rough yeah He got it
0: um so yeah as like for the backup quarterback for example that's like the in the cfl right backup quarterback comes in for a qb sneak gets a first down and does something stupid to take a 15-yard penalty and everybody in the crowd is like did he just do that he just came in for a qb sneak and he just took (laughs) a 15-yard penalty that's ridiculous um but hmm what am i willing to i mean If you're only going to do it once, like, that's the only time Cam Newton can do it, right? In that moment where he says, I'm back. um, He's not doing that again. That's a one-off. So
1: we'll see what (laughs) happens moving forward. I did think it was great, though, because social media has this way in 2021 of taking a moment and making it go viral and turning it into a meme and all the rest. And when you are Cam Newton popping off your helmet and just screaming, I'm back, I'm back, there were so many great tweets of people applying their own sensibilities of humor to it. And my favorite one was uh, me arriving back to my own party after throwing a bourbon in the bathroom for 20 minutes. <laughs> it's just like, you can imagine some idiot hosting their own party, drinks way too much, gets way too drunk and ends up uh, walking back into the party. I'm
0: back, just
1: uh, getting excited. But anyways, uh, let's dig into Hamilton Toronto as we wander around to kick off our Monday morning. Um, weird game. I did not see this going this way and I felt disappointed because I almost sent out on Twitter on Friday afternoon that I really hope if this turns into a defensive battle, because it was going to be cold and rainy, or if this was going to turn into, uh, you know, a, a, essentially a blowout, which it didn't. I mean, the scoreline wasn't a blow, but it felt like a blowout for the majority of the game, uh, based on the way that the game played out and how Toronto had complete control. It felt like throughout most of the matchup, and uh, and I just I was so interested uh, to see people really just I mean Hamilton fans weren't enjoying it per se but people were embracing the fact that this game mattered and it's been a while since they've had now the game did not live up to the pregame hype but yeah I feel feel like it's difficult too in the regular season there was something left to be desired there though this certainly could have Hamilton had their opportunities and the way that it played out specifically I found to be really intriguing because I did not think that Hamilton in a little bit of the wind coming off the lake at various points. Although it seemed like the, fl- it's funny at BMO, the Argos championship flags, man, they can whip, and the upright flags, they'll be sitting perfectly still. Like doesn't it doesn't seem like sometimes it actually hits down into the field because it's a little tiny bit of a, da- a dugout area. So um, I found the way that Hamilton was so aggressive throwing the football to be eye-opening and i kind of teased this on uh social media when people said to me why were they throwing so deep why were they they?" and i said i have a i labeled it a conspiracy theory i don't really know if it qualifies as that but here is just my theory to get out uh, in front of this is that i don't know if this is is possible but i do wonder whether or not hamilton was gathering intel and that's a really nice, soft, cushy landing spot to say, ah, you didn't have any success. That's it. You're just figuring it out for when you play them in the playoffs. This time of year, that game mattered a lot to them. It's not as though they didn't want to win. But I also kind of felt like based on the way that they changed up their approach and the way that Missoli was throwing vertically, yeah, it was like they're testing Toronto right now. And And you have to know when you are playing that aggressive vertically, your completion percentage is going to drop dramatically. And so now you're playing a, a home run or strikeout kind of game, the way baseball has evolved. And they were doing that against the Argos, and they struck out a lot. Like, and that's why the game ended up the way it did. If they get three or four of those, it's a closer game, more entertaining game. But man, they've got incredible film now going into the playoffs. And I'm not excusing the way the game turned out, but they've got incredible film to be able to go through and study how certain defensive backs react to double moves, how certain linebackers, um you know, deal with receivers bailing out underneath them or running crossing routes, or how do they carry them or how deep do they carry them or what depth of the safety's at, or they've got real live tangible stuff for Hamilton to try and figure out for Toronto. I think they handled it really well. So I think Hamilton's going to go through this film and they're likely going to go, I mean, we can tweak this and that and if we play them again in the playoffs and get through the East semi or whatever, and, But uh, that was kind of my thought was, I wonder if Hamilton was trying to gain an understanding of some things and push the envelope a little bit in the regular season to see what can we get away with taking our risks and taking our shots down the field.
0: Yeah, on the point of gaining an understanding for a future matchup, it's, it's twofold, right? Because one, yes, you get intel on the Toronto Argonauts and how they react to certain things when you're throwing the ball down the field. But there's also the in-house stuff. Do you have the execution to take advantage of that? Right. Um, and I question that approach that Cats had. Um, I was at my buddy's house uh, last night to watch the Sunday nighter and he's a Cats fan. And the first thing he said to me was what the hell was with the Cats? Why were they just throwing <laughs> the ball deep every time? I'm like, Hey man, I, I, I don't, I don't really get it. Um, but moving forward, the the Ticats you're not playing your best football heading
1: you know down the stretch
0: because that was like, a big game
1: it felt like they were coming in and now all of a sudden and this is the crazy thing of the opponents it like, matter yeah it, it felt like they were improving but then you hit Toronto and that defense is really talented like their back end there's a lot of names that you know across that back end so um, I yeah I'm with you that it doesn't feel like this created positive momentum going into the final week of the regular season to play against Saskatchewan in order to win in order to hold off Montreal as they end up getting the victory against Winnipeg and on and on and on but it's just um I I had the same thing happen my dad reached out to me he was like what happened to the Ticats last night and I'm like they didn't they didn't hit on some of other shots like they in uh, the Javon Santos Knox ejection uh I didn't get a good enough really look at to criticize but it at first glance I was like oh that's I wonder what happened there. Cause it didn't feel like yeah. it was very, it was very obvious to a lot of people. It didn't make a lot of sense based on uh, what was available. And he was already ejected back in week two, I believe in the game against Saskatchewan on the road this season. And, uh, and I think he's carried that with him throughout the year a little bit, but um, but what did you make him a specifically? Cause I know we're talking about vertical passing yep. and um, I don't even have his stat line up in front of me here, but I'm sure you do there. I'm yep. wondering like how you looked at his overall performance.
0: 22 of 40, 326, no touchdowns, two picks. Um, I've been a big fan of Dane Evans for a long time. And Friday night, it kind of reached the breaking point. I, I don't understand why he's not starting. I have I've been that way for a while. Like, I don't, I, I don't get it. Beginning of the season, you start out Saskatchewan and Winnipeg, and that, that's a tough, you know, start to the season. And you go, 0 two and everybody in the organization realizes what, what happened? We're going to, okay, we're going to put Dane in now. Mm -hmm. And then Dane settles things down a little bit, gets back to back wins, wins on labor day, that following game against Toronto had his hiccups, um, in that game. And then he gets banged up and then David Watford carries the torch for a little bit. And then Jeremiah comes in, and Jeremiah was very lucky that he got a cream puff schedule, and that's what he did, right? Like you, you beat Ottawa, you beat BC, you beat Edmonton, um, the three teams that are not going to the playoffs in the CFL. And okay, Dane's healthy again, and Dane doesn't get his job back. I, I, I just, I don't get it. I don't think Jeremiah is playing under the same rules that Dane Evans is played under, where. You're not supposed to lose your job to injury. Okay. He lost his job to injury. You win games and then you don't start. I like, I I don't get it. Dane Evans is the best chance right now. The Ticats have of winning football games. He just is, you know, we talk about throwing the football down the field. I don't know what's happened to Jeremiah's arm strength. It's not great. It's not fantastic. Right. Especially when he's on the move. When he's on the run and he's, you know, chucking the ball up the field, I just don't see the arm strength that I saw 2019, 2018. And for Dane Evans, I just think he has more pop on the football. I think he has the ability to make more plays. And you see on Twitter, I don't think anybody's in the Jeremiah Masoli camp right now. And I I like Jeremiah as as a person and a football player. But push comes to shove, this is a great cup at home. And I think Dane Evans gives you the best opportunity to win a football game. And for him not to be playing, he's not a scrub. He's not some random backup quarterback <laughs> that you haven't seen before.
1: He's not Sean McGuire, okay?
0: Exactly. He almost <laughs> won it all for you in 2019. Right. And I put it out on Twitter. At this point, I think it's a little disrespectful that you're not playing Dane Evans more. How the hell does he not get a drive in the third quarter at some point just to change yeah. things up
1: yeah yeah I'm with you on that I think he, he he deserved an opportunity to see whether or not he could change the temperament of that game and I don't know why I mean would they not make that switch because they're afraid of hurting Jeremiah's feelings because it's going to hurt his feelings a lot more when you pull him for a playoff game like if you wait that long and and yeah. he ends up being unsuccessful in the first quarter and that's I think my fear right now for Cats fans is if you end up waiting too deep into this season and you
0: well now you have to play dane because you can't play him in the playoffs if he hasn't played for a long time
1: and that's what i'm saying but like if you didn't take jeremiah out in the second half of that game for at least a couple of drives to try and change a pace and see where you could go with it how are you going to pull him out leading up to a game against saskatchewan that you need to win there i mean it takes it takes guts takes balls to do that um, but how are, uh, based on the previous decision-making, I'd be very surprised if Jeremiah is not the starting quarterback. And I, again, I'm not against it. I'm just, I'm exploring. They've, they've kind of cornered themselves and, and it's a difficult situation to begin with because you have two talented quarterbacks that are worthy of playing in the game, but only one can. And the way that you handle that quite often defines your season. Like, I mean, look at Toronto. They had probably the best combination outside of Hamilton when it came to, uh, quarterback backup quarterback and how did they handle it? They went McLeod Bethel Thompson to start because Arbuckle was dinged through training camp. Yep. And then when McLeod Bethel Thompson struggles, then what he says best thing for the team I, I got to go with Arbuckle. So he does. That was in week two against Winnipeg. Week three they come home they beat Winnipeg with Arbuckle. Now he wasn't singularly the reason why they beat Winnipeg, but he played a pretty important role that day. He manufactured offense and productivity and all the rest, and they win. Now. He ends up struggling a little bit at times and then gets uh, essentially moved aside from McLeod Bethel Thompson after Labor Day. I mean, it was essentially Labor Day that that went down yeah, uh, because Hamilton's defense is very, very good. And they made Arbuckle look very normal. And then he never gets his job back and he gets traded to Edmonton for Hamilton. Start the season with Masoli, gets stinged, in comes Evans, looks good, gets stinged, in comes Masoli. I mean, they've both been replaced because of injury at various points this year, but mm-hmm. now at what point do you give Evans an opportunity to prove to you, no, I can actually lead us. Like I can give us an opportunity to win a great cup because if it's not in the third quarter of this past game, and if it's not as a start going into this week, it's not going to be at the end of the first quarter when you have zero points and eight total yards in the East final yeah. I mean, or an East semifinal. So um, I, I do wonder how they're going to massage this going forward. And I know that Orlando is going to have a lot of questions to uh, be answered on this uh, going forward. I, I just, I wonder if there's a proper time because it feels like no matter when they make the switch, some people will say it's right. Some people will say it's wrong. Some people will say that it gave them a better chance or a worse chance to be able to win the great cup or get to the great cup. Or, uh, and the dangerous thing is while you're toying with all of this and figuring out your most important position on your team, Montreal's charging for a home playoff date and now Toronto's got the East locked up and Hamilton is at risk in this final week. albeit, I mean, <laughs> Montreal needs some help, but I mean, Hamilton has got to do their best not to help them because you could end up in a year where you are hosting the great cup and people have these visions yeah. as always, as always happens in the CFL of, well, we can win our division and we can host it after a bye week we'll host the East or the West final. And then we'll go to the great cup playing in our own stadium and, and, kind of very quickly it goes the other direction where you were saying oh we're not we're not necessarily like a great cup caliber team yeah. but we, we still have an opportunity but oh now we're not going to win the division so now we don't have the bye week and we're not playing home in these But that's okay we can host in the semi oh no you know what we're we're third we got to go on the road in the playoffs and now it's like unless you play in the great cup and you have to go through two road games in your division you're not playing a home game at all the rest of like this might be the last Tycats yeah. home game this upcoming week, which is crazy to think about based on what we thought they'd be coming into the season.
0: Yeah, it's completely fallen apart and it's fallen apart fast. And now, you know, Hamilton's staring down the barrel and uh, a home playoff date, um, at least a, a home East final is now gone. And an East semi-final might be gone as well if you don't figure this out. Right. Um, in terms of, you know, the quarterback situation, you mentioned, you know, how Jeremiah would feel about getting replaced by Dane Evans at this point in the season, because it means essentially your time as Tycats quarterback is, is gone for the rest of this season. Right. And I think moving forward, I I, I don't see how the Tycats move forward with Dane Evans and Jeremiah Masoli, both a member of this team. I, I just, I simply don't, um, I don't know where it was on the, on the uh, objective list for the Ticats for the 2021 season. I'm not saying it was one, I'm not saying it was five, but somewhere down the objective list for the Ticats this year, I feel like they penciled in, give Jeremiah his swan song season. Mm. And I think that's irresponsible. I really do. Because at the end of the day, you have to win football games. And look at Jeremiah and, and look at his record. He lost to Toronto every single time he played them. He lost to Montreal you know, when he played them. Dane Evans beat Montreal. He beat Toronto. Um, if not for a Michael Damagala, you know, missed extra point. And again, I know Dane Evans at that point in the game wasn't in there because yeah. he was injured. Um, maybe that's a different story. And I just, I I don't get it. Like, I don't get it. And I, and I see the confusion on Twitter for Cats fans. They don't get it either. Um, 2019, he got you to a great cup. You know, I I like Jeremiah and yes, Dane Evans played on a a fantastic team in 2019. And, you know, Jeremiah never had that opportunity to close out, you know, a very good start to the year. Um, But Dane Evans did something that Jeremiah has never been able to do. And that was, you know, win playoff games and get to a great cup. I look at this and think. How is he not playing? I put the tweet out that I think it's a little bit disrespectful about the tie cats uh, not playing Dane Evans because he's not some scrub backup quarterback, mm. and the tweet gets liked by both of Dane Evans' parents. And <laughs> I would assume that they're confused as all hell. Like, Dane looked to be the future of this organization in, in 2019. I still, think,
1: I still think he is. Okay. Like, yeah.
0: But. But right now, the other guy's not getting it done.
1: Right. The and future that's, is now. That's the confusing part to you, to your point here is that uh he is the future and the 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 switch is not being flipped. And I think it's a fair question that you ask of I don't think it was necessarily Swan Song season. I don't think that the Ticats organization owes Jeremiah this. It's not like he's doing a farewell tour or anything. But I do get the sense like you're saying that he's being given more opportunity to work through things, which I'm usually, I'm usually for, like I've talked this season about uh, Caleb Evans wanting to give him time to figure it out. And we well, saw that that worked out. Uh, but I usually like to see quarterbacks given time to work through the difficulties because it takes time to learn and understand these things. Jeremiah has gone through that. He's gone through man, half a decade of that, in the CFL, like coming up on a decade of that in the CFL where he has worked through the ups and the downs and all the rest. But, this season time is of the essence and it's uh, it's a difficult look if he comes out in this game against Saskatchewan and starts to struggle there has to be a quick hook at that point because you shouldn't
0: get to that though
1: but that's what I'm saying is into what we're talking about earlier it probably should have already happened but it hasn't so now we just have to view things and judge them going forward and the way we're going to judge them going forward is if there are struggles there and I'm not saying one drive but Let's be real about this in playoff football, you are going to get 15 possessions in a game max. Yeah. If if you're gonna come up empty on the first three or four of them, are you willing to bet in a playoff football game that you're gonna hit on some of the next 12? Or are you gonna have to say, We gotta change something up here? And also I would say straight up head to head, Hamilton and, and Montreal are going to play in the East semifinal. It's just a matter of whether, where the game is. You said that Dane has beaten Montreal I'm, I mean that would make sense to me that he should be getting primed to get ready for the playoffs where he's beaten Montreal and he's beaten Toronto and in order yeah. to get back to the great cup in Hamilton who do you got to beat you got to beat Montreal you got to beat Toronto so uh, it all makes a lot of sense uh, to me I just wanted to throw this out there as well Kyle in terms of the actual vertical and stuff that we talked about uh, before we do talk a little bit about Toronto because I would like to give them some credit and, and discuss kind of where they're at uh, <laughs> I threw out the number over the weekend online that uh, Jeremiah has thrown the ball 25 yards or deeper on 13.1% of his pass attempts throughout the year. And in the first quarter, 62% of his pass attempts were 25 yards or deeper. His average depth of target for the season is 11.1 yards. In this game, it was 16.3. That's a massive difference when it comes to depth of target statistics to be 5.2 yards on average deeper. And this is the fun thing that I, cause as I'm putting together the game chart, I'm, I'm going through this, I'm going, Oh my God. So his average is 11.1 on the season in this game. Okay. Not just the first quarter in week 15 against the Toronto Argonauts. Here are the depth of throws for Jeremiah that were beyond 10 yards and listen to how many of these there are and listen to how deep they get. Cause it's wild. 10 yards, 12 yards, 12 yards, 14, 15, 16, 17, 17, 18, 19, 20, 24, 25, 30, 36, 39, 40, 41, 42, 44, 50, and 52. What is that? <laughs> yeah, because it and, worked and, so good,
0: <laughs> so well for for Jason Moss and Edmonton that he lost his job because of it.
1: Uh, it's just it was it was wild to watch. Uh, and again, I also want to throw out there this because I feel like a lot of the time we just go, he threw it deep. What's wrong with him? What's wrong with Condell? It might have been progressions. Like Toronto might have been forcing their hand. I haven't taken the time to go through and watch the film close enough to whether or not Toronto was just opening the door and saying, we're going to take away all these underneaths and these crossers. And and we're going to give you the home run shots because we don't have faith that you can hit those. Maybe, maybe that was Chris Jones strategy. Maybe he opened the door and that's why they gave all those deep throws. Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
0: Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, going back and, and, you know, looking at the game, um, I don't want to throw this all on Jeremiah, but a large part is on Jeremiah. Um, the, the lack of production, especially in the first half in games this year has been eye opening, right. For as, uh, you know, well, as the, you know, the, the final score went in that game against Ottawa, it's Horton's field where it was a 32 to three, the final at halftime would they have eight points, eight points go biggest game of the season, Toronto, they don't score in the first half, like that you can't win football games like that where you just you know for three quarters essentially because let's be honest like uh, all of his production came in garbage time right where toronto is essentially just sitting back playing prevent defense and you pick them apart and then you you know put up over 300 yards passing right but the completion percentage like you said is not great when you're pushing the ball that far down the field um and maybe it wasn't you know the best course of action for the ticats and maybe tommy condell will revisit that um in a potential east final against toronto regardless of who the quarterback is um i think and you know going back to my original point about this is is not all on jeremiah the receivers have to do a better job you can't have as many drops as the ticats had in the first yeah. half right like that does mess with the rhythm of a quarterback when you know, there is a play there and he puts the ball in a good spot and then the ball just flat out dropped. Yeah. Um. You, you can't do that. Now, as for the road forward, I mentioned it earlier. If you're going to make a switch, it has to be this week. It has to be this week. And you have to make the decision to switch the quarterback and realize might not be going back
1: either. Right. Whether it's, if you switch, I don't think you can go back. That's the difficult thing is they've had to wait in their minds to say, is this really the right move? Because this feels finalistic when we yeah, decided, but... when we decide to move it, we have to go forward with it. And that's why I feel like they've waited because they're not sure that this is yeah. a cut and dry the right thing. Perfect. Let's go and get it right now and make this. But again, that's, that's the foresight that you pay coaches and general managers for is to say, you know what, this is a difficult decision, but it's for the best interest of our team. And I don't have the right answer on it. I just, I know that that's, from the outside looking in, that's the spot that they are in right now.
0: But look at what we're asking ourselves, right? That if you make the choice to switch the quarterback, you can't go back, mm-hmm. right? And going back to our original points uh, earlier in the in the show about it seems Jeremiah is getting way more opportunities than Dane Evans, right? And that's at the forefront of them. What do you mean we can't switch the quarter? If we we make the change, we can't go back. Of course you can go back. But is this about Jeremiah's feelings or is this about winning football games? Because I think Dane Evans gives you the best chance. And I'll say it again. And I know, you know, if you listen to fans, you're probably going to be sitting with them, right? Eventually down the road. And you're going to probably lose your job if you're listening to the fans to make personnel decisions (laughs) on the field. Right. I don't know if anybody's in the Jeremiah camp. Like, literally, I would love to hear from a Ticats fan that believes Jeremiah Masoli gives the Ticats the best opportunity to win for the rest of the 2021 season. And I I haven't seen it, at least on Twitter. We'll see.
1: Yeah, Uh, I would also say this. This is the analogy that I always use when we talk about quarterback decision making, going back and forth. Which one are you going to play? Which one are you not? And I say you can't go back. This is why I say that you can't go back, okay? When
0: I said that I wanted to have kids and you said that you wanted me to have a vasectomy, what did I do? And then oh, when you said that you might want to have kids and I wasn't so sure who had the vasectomy reversed. And then when you said you definitely didn't want to have kids, who had it reversed back? Stip, snap, snip, snap, snip, snap. I did. Okay. You... <laughs>
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, snip, snap, snip, snap, snip, snap is not the way that you win playoff games. Please see Chris Jones, Kevin Glenn, Brandon Bridge, 2017 East Final. That was <laughs> snip, snap, snip, snap, snip, snap. And that didn't help anybody have children or get to the Grey Cup. I know we have to get to the other games. The last thing I want
0: to say on this, and I mentioned it earlier, you know, this season multiple times, two quarterbacks of the level of Jeremiah Masoli and Dane Evans, especially Dane, after he worked, reworked this contract, it doesn't come cheap right in terms of the salary cap, and look at what happened to the tie cats this season offensive line issues earlier in the year and everybody was like where's the where's the move to spring somebody in right tie cats didn't have any salary cap space to to make any moves this season it's again it's another downfall of having you know two quarterbacks of the caliber that you have um but that comes at a cost and now we're seeing it down the stretch of the season where even the two guys that you have in house one of them is getting playing time and he hasn't beat a playoff team this year right jeremy Masoli hasn't beat a playoff team this year all of his wins have come against ottawa edmonton bc even the calgary game david watford
1: beat them. do you uh do you remember the 64-14 beatdown that the tie cats gave the Toronto Argonauts in 2019. It was like week three or four, something like yeah. that. And the Ticats... I think Simone it, had a
0: pick six.
1: Yeah, I think yeah. it. I think it tied a franchise high for points, or it was close to it, or something like that. I th- might have been one point shot shy of a points record for the Thai Cats. but that's the last time Jeremiah beat Toronto. And obviously, a large chunk of that is because of injury, because of the ACL, and he doesn't play them for the rest of the year. And yep. then to 2020, they don't play, and then 2021, he doesn't play against them a couple of times. And uh, but now he's gone 0 two in the last two. So it's again going into the East final. If you're playing in Toronto, would you feel comfortable with that, knowing that it's been that long since he's beaten beaten that team? Again, a lot of missing pieces, a lot of different pieces. But uh, the last thing I want to mention is I don't just want this to be about questioning the Tiger Cats. Congratulations, Toronto. Like, yeah, for real. And, and this is uh, pretty amazing because John Pearlberg, the fantastic stats man from the CFL and TSN, he sent out a note before this game on all things Toronto Argonauts' turnaround. And this is pretty amazing. Uh, writing the ship, Toronto's last three seasons, 2018 19, their combined record was 8 and 28 in Toronto, 8 and 28. Now they're 8 and 4 this season against the East Division. They have as many wins this year as they did in 2018 and 2019 combined. They were 5 and 11 in 2018 2019. They're 5 and 2 this year. Games decided by three points or less. They were 4 and 7 in those previous two years. They're 6 and 0 this year. 6 and 0 this year. Home record. They had a losing record in those two seasons previously. They were 7 and 11. This year, they're 5 and 0. When they were leading after the third quarter, those previous two years, they were 3-5. and five. They had a losing record when they were leading after the third quarter. This year, 4-0. So you're seeing a team that is winning games at home. That it, and again, all of this, it, <laughs> there's a lot of context that's needed to be applied to this uh, because the ability for Toronto to go into Hamilton and get that victory, the ability of Boris B be- I I mean, there's another stat here. Most game-winning drives in the fourth quarter or overtime for the Argos since 1945 that John Pearlberg has. McLeod Bethel-Thompson is tied with Doug Flutie for seven He has four of them this year. How much of that is the fact that your kicker can hit bombs from 55 yards out? He gives you the opportunity at any point when you need a field goal. Hey, give me a cross midfield. Bang, we win. And that's a pretty amazing thing to have. And it's very valuable going into the playoffs uh, where you might need some pressure clutch kicks down the stretch. But Toronto, this is the biggest thing for all of me amongst all these numbers and all the reasoning and and all the celebration by Argos fans. That I'm impressed by them is if you would have told me at the end of 2019 that the Toronto Argonauts would go three and one against the Hamilton Tiger Cats under any circumstances. Watford and Basoli out, uh, Dane Evans gets stung middle of a game, playing home, playing away, raining. What well, I don't care. Our Toronto went three and one against Hamilton in 2021, and yeah. coming out of 2019, I never would have seen that coming.
0: Yeah, and you know when i went on ben grant's podcast um last week to talk about this game by the way you know the tie cats performance on friday night didn't come as a surprise to me um i you know on cfperspective.com when i did my my game picks um i took the argos um just because the argos were at home they had a stellar home record yep. and they still do um and i said on ben grant's podcast you know i think it's interesting when you look at the quarterback situation in Toronto, that I thought because McLeod Bethel Thompson, had played so well after he replaced his replacement <laughs> to start the season. Cause obviously Nick Arbuckle um, took over from him uh, early in the season, Toronto gets that crazy week one uh, win. And then McLeod Bethel Thompson comes back to earth and then Nick Arbuckle, you know, gets replaced and now McLeod Bethel Thompson is hitting a stretch where he's playing good football. I didn't think Nick Arbuckle was ever going to get a starting job back, just because I think he gave the Argos a different dimension than Nick Arbuckle Mm -hmm. and then Arbuckle gets traded. And I think that sent a message to McLeod Bethel Thompson that said, you're the guy, this team's only going to go as far as you take us. And we're going to live through whatever downfalls you have as a quarterback. And I said it on the podcast, I said, He's a gunslinger. And sometimes that, you know, goes badly, very fast in a game. He goes, you know, to Ottawa, throws three interceptions. But at the end of the game, he rose to the occasion and he got the Argos that win. And he comes out against Hamilton and he played well. Um, That's huge when you send a message to the starting quarterback that says, okay, you're our guy. And I think the tie Cats have the ability to do the same thing now, yep. where they say Dane Evans is our starting quarterback from here on out.
1: Yep, and that's do. the way it's going to be. Uh, let's move on to some of the other games. I know we spent a lot of time on that one, but it really was the marquee game of the weekend, uh, not just because we happen to live in Hamilton and we know a lot about the Hamilton-Toronto matchup and the history and all the rest in, in the last couple of years. But it, it was it was great. It was a great theater. I wish it would have delivered a better game, but it was a fun one. So uh, the nightcap on Friday night was Calgary in BC. The Stampeders clinch a playoff berth for the 16th straight season. They beat the Lions 33-23. And with the win, the Stampeders eliminate the Lions from playoff contention. Back-to-back years now, they've had Michael Riley, and they have not made the playoffs in the West Division, which is, uh, man, that's got to hurt when you're paying that amount of money for a quarterback, and then you're not able to end up getting into uh, at least the playoffs, but both threw for 264 and three touchdowns. One of them to Reggie Bagleton, 119 yards for Reggie Bagleton. His season debut, the very first throw of the game went to Reggie Bagleton over the middle. I'm like, oh, okay, very interesting. Uh, but Riley finishes the game with 340 passing yards and a touchdown just disappointing for BC. I mean, this is in every way, shape, and form. This is a season of missed opportunities for them uh, because you, you, you cash in on lucky whitehead in a way that nobody saw coming. Even myself. I thought he was good. I thought he had potential. I didn't think he was going to become what he did and he gets injured. And then you lose those games to Winnipeg and Saskatchewan. And then you're close to beating Toronto down the stretch. And, but in, I, I I covered the BC lions in weeks 13 and 14 when they were playing in toronto and in hamilton i was calling those games for the cfl and tsn and when i talked to rick campbell and this is going to stick with me all off season i talked to rick campbell going into week 13 head coach of the lions and he said you know we've had some struggles we've lost some games we probably shouldn't have we're on a bad stretch of games here but everything that we need is in front of us because if we're going to get the crossover we're going to have to do it through hamilton toronto If we're going to end up being in the West Division, we're going to have to catch the Calgary Stampeders. And he said, these next three games are huge for us. He was planning on having a game in week number 15 that would essentially be a win and you're into the playoffs type matchup, which it might not have specifically been that, but he was planning on having that in this game this past weekend. Well, because your kicker can't make a field goal in the final five minutes of the Argos game, and then because you just don't play well enough against Hamilton, you get to a point where this game is like we're hanging on by a by a nail and can't get that one done it's like okay well now you're 0-3 okay well now you've lost seven straight okay well now and you start looking at it, you're like man they they were close this year to figuring it out and put together a really nice run and at every single opportunity where they could have put together a successful run it went sideways yeah that's that's the crazy thing to me is they weren't that far off but every single chance they had to, to capitalize on these opportunities, every single one of them, it didn't happen. And that's that's amazing. And I don't know if that speaks to the organizational culture or something they have to change or what. But that's uh, you don't often see that. Usually it's like, well, they get some, they lose some, they win. No, this was everything's in front of you. And every single time, it's a letdown. To be honest, I don't think they're that good. I think it was
0: a mirage earlier in the season. They got back-to-back wins over Ottawa. And things were looking up. They only have one win against a west opponent that was crazy this year. So
1: where did you get that stat from
0: i just I, i'm looking at the schedule right now okay they only have one win they beat calgary so um, i saw 15 to 9 when calgary's <laughs> offense looked absolutely atrocious earlier in the season
1: when i was watching that game tsn put a lower bar like one of those not one of those like splashy stat graphics just the one that's like above the score bug and it just said lion's colon and i forget what the exact number was but it was something like two and 18 against west division opponents since 2018 or something like that and i actually did the like cartoon like rub the eyes and go no it oh that is what that says oh my god i can't because in my mind i just hadn't computed that that was their reality and uh so yeah it's funny that you bring that stat up because i saw that extrapolated by the cfl and tsn and put up on the screen and i it's not normal for them to just throw in a stat like that at the bottom, almost like it was a yeah. scroll. And so when they did, I kind of caught my attention. And then I went, oh, my goodness. Like, and that just speaks to, again, a couple of years where they are not getting it done the way that they would like.
0: Yeah, and, you know, offensively, they have the playmakers. Um, I believe they have the quarterback. Um, it just didn't come together at any point.
1: And It's weird, he, though, right? Because they Riley Burnham, Whitehead, they got better pass protection this year. Uh, their thirdly, defense was awful. Their, well, their, their, their past, but, their past defense so their uh, past ranks, rush, their past yes. rush can't get home. But I mean, the reason that Rick Campbell gave me for that was that they had invested in people they believe will be very good for them down the line, but their linebacker play, I think is exceptional and their back end. The start of the year, they played the football in the air really, really well. They were ball hawks. Everybody in the secondary had an interception by like week six. So I struggle with the idea their defense was back because two of the three levels. I have a lot of respect for, but the. That, like if you're talking about the six groups okay taking you with special teams for a second if you go like <laughs> backfield receivers offensive line like those three groups not awful yeah and when you go defensive line linebackers defensive backs defensive line might not be fantastic boom watching was fun but i think their linebackers are above average and their defensive backs play the ball relatively well in the air and that's when it's like oh okay weird like i how are they losing all of these games like how is this how are they so high in net offense and not cashing in that's the conundrum for me
0: yeah and i'm going to track back a little bit here um to tie in the tie cats as well um but they've given up 30 points and this year if you give up 30 points you're not you're not winning the game you're you're, you know nine times out of ten you're you're not winning we've seen production in the cfl the scoring is down if uh if you're able to score 28 points you're probably winning the football game um the totals against for the bc lions 33 against the stamps this past weekend 26 against the Titans and this is why it'll make sense on wow the Titans aren't as good as we think right in terms of their offense uh 26 against the Titans 31 against the Argos, 45 against the Bombers, 39 against the Calgary Stampeders, 30 against the Bombers, 31 against the Rough Riders. And then the time where they held somebody under 30 points outside of that Ticats game was the Alouettes Mm -hmm. and they won that game. So there's a correlation there that, oh, maybe we shouldn't put all the pressure on our offense to score 35, 40 points a game because our defense sucks and we can't. You know, keep anybody out of the end zone and keep points down. And that's the situation that you find yourself in. And if you're Rick Campbell, maybe his feeling of going back to the drawing board um, in terms of, you know, the 2022 season. And he needs to look, have a hard look at that defense and think we're not as good as we thought we were coming into the season.
1: Interesting. Uh you got anything on Calgary? Because I r- I really don't have that much. I thought Bo was pretty solid. Beggleton yeah. Begleton looks like he's gonna be good for them down the stretch run here. Their defense coming together a little bit, but it's I mean, they look I'm not gonna say like every Calgary team we've seen the last while, but Dave Dickinson's one of the best coaches in the CFL and he knows how to make a, a group evolve and improve throughout a season. And he's to me this is just a, a classic example of watching his team progress throughout the season.
0: Yeah. Um I think Bo looked good. And if you're a CFL fan, I think that West semifinal is going to be fun as hell because yes. those two teams have played each other, it seems like a million times this year. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think Winnipeg's the best team in the division, hands down. I don't think it's close, um, but that West semi is going to be fun. And if you're the Riders, and we'll get into their game, um, whatever positive that your team had um, offensively, this past weekend i think you're gonna need another one of those performances against calgary because it looks like their offense is getting better at the right time
1: i'll just say this uh every playoff game at this point looks stupid fun (laughs) i'm going through every single whether it's in the east like if if montreal's hosting hamilton that's going to be bonkers in montreal based on what it was like when they hosted a playoff game in 2019 uh, if Hamilton hosts, the emotion there of wanting to be able to go to BMO for the East Finals is going to be incredible. Saskatchewan being able to to host Calgary, I mean, yeah, like the the rivalry there, the onside kicks this year, the close games, the the Cody Fajardo 50-50 ball game, the Bo Levi being the um the villain to every riders fan in this country and beyond like it's all of that stuff is great and that's not even talking about potential great cup matchups which is down the road a, a couple of weeks but the first two rounds of the playoffs of the 3 are just they're going to be incredible there's and there's going to be great games i have confidence they're going to deliver really good games so uh, montreal in the Saturday afternoon game this past week, uh, they end up beating the B team, uh, essentially, from the (laughs) Winnipeg Blue Bombers, which uh, Sean McGuire kind of got exposed because in the first half, they stayed with the, hey, we have good field position, and we're the Bombers, and we're playing good defense, and we're going to, uh, you know, just run the ball whenever we can. And then when they get behind a little bit, they had to open it up and throw, and throws, well, I don't even know what it was, like three, four interceptions, something like that (laughs) by the end. So, uh, yeah, he ends up going 11 of 26, For 149, one touchdown, four interceptions. Four interceptions in that game. But this is the interesting thing for me is Trevor Harris looked as on point in this game as I think I've seen him since the 2019 East semifinal in Montreal. That game where he had the crazy completion percentage, it was like 92% or whatever. He only threw for 144 yards, but he threw for three touchdowns. Why? Because William Standback had 18 carries. Like He is going to carry the load for them from here on out. The remainder of the season, he is so strong with the rock in his hands and he gives them so much balance that Trevor really felt like Zach Kalaros in this game to me from what Zach has done this year. Because remember, I always say Winnipeg doesn't want to throw the ball more than 25 times. Well, Trevor ends up 18 of 25 with with a running back leading the way. It's like Montreal is doing this in a very Winnipeg when they have their A team in way. And they straight up head-to-head beat Winnipeg, kind of playing their style. And Trevor's ball placement on those two touchdown passes to Geno Lewis, I thought were just exceptional. The anticipation, the timing, the footwork, like he looked much more comfortable in the offense in this game. Uh, So I'd like to see whether or not that continues to progress because I I I thought it was interesting. Davis Sanchez said on the panel, which by the way, Davis is so good on the panel. I just, I want to throw that out there. Like Davis is, is, (laughs) I love him on the panel. He's doing such good work with the analysis because he's, he's bringing real conversations to light that he's having off air. And I can tell that he's just not afraid to bring them on air. So good credit to him. Uh, But he said that nobody wants to play Montreal. And at first glance, I'm like, "Eh, I don't know. I mean, I don't think Hamilton or Toronto are really scared. And then you start to think about the dynamic of Montreal's offense specifically, because their defense, there might be something to be desired. But when you are talking about their offense, it's like if, if they have consistency in their running game, physicality up front and an efficient quarterback that's a pretty good formula for playoff success especially when it only takes four quarters to get a victory so Hamilton's got to be on high alert uh, especially based on the way that that game ended earlier this year
0: yeah as for this game this game was won and lost with the Sean McGuire four interceptions yes you just you can't turn the ball over that much and win a football game because if you look at Montreal and the way their offense played out Trevor Harris you know 18 of 25 144 yards three touchdowns um, didn't have a lot of attempts, didn't have a lot of yards. So you think, oh, it's Montreal. William Standback probably had a good day. Not really. Standback got shut down by the Bombers defense, yep. right? Uh, 18 carries 65 yards. It's less than four yards a carry. Like the, the Bombers, again, they showed that their defense is obviously top notch and very good. And you're going to have to figure out a dynamic way to break that side of the football down, um, on the Bombers, uh, team. And I think this was a game that I should have saw coming for the bombers just because it had to come, right? It's like you can't play meaningless football games for as long as they have and not have a slip up this This was their slip up.
1: The idea so, of Zach not playing for a month is terrifying, but the idea of Zach being injured and that being your starting quarterback is even more terrifying exactly. <laughs> and i'm not here to like i just i want to make this clear because i think there's a perception out there sometimes that i just i dump on quarterbacks i sean Maguire needs reps in order to learn how to play the canadian football league game properly and understand but the same reason that i've been a little bit pessimistic on taylor cornelius this year is the reason why i saw those things in sean Maguire this week where it's like he's a young guy decision making is not great ball placement isn't fantastic and uh and just seems like he's relying on things that don't allow you to have success in the CFL. Like those two touchdown passes from Trevor Harris, you know who it made me think of? Ricky Ray. And the reason that I say that is... Towards the end of his career? Yeah, like Ricky, Ricky never needed to do more than step up in the pocket, protect the football away from a defensive end who was swinging to try and bat it out of his arms. He would step up, make his way out of the pocket by two steps, look down the field, and it would never look like he was like ripping it right? It was never going to just fire it right yep. through a guy's face mask. It was, I'm just going to put this where my guy can get it and yours can't. And it was always just so yeah. relaxed and methodical and it bang and oh, there we go. Touchdown. And, <laughs> and so I see those things in Trevor and I see some of these younger quarterbacks, whether it be Caleb Evans, Taylor Cornelius, Sean McGuire, et cetera. I see them coming in and it's like, they don't have that sense of patience and touch and rhythm in their game yet where it's like let the game come to me a little bit everybody's always trying to you know what let me go and attack and attack and attack and I think Fajardo has learned this over time as well in the last year and a half two years of I don't always have to be the one who is uh, running around with my head cut off and throwing the ball 50 yards and trying to make these great it's like sometimes he'll take a check down and he'll go to the sideline and damn, you know what? I wish we would have produced more, but we're, we're punted. We'll be all right, guys. Okay. Let's get, what did we see on the last drive? Let's get on the iPad and figure it out. And like, he kind of is, I think that's the maturity process of quarterbacks. And McGuire just hasn't had the reps to allow that to happen as of yet, obviously. Yeah.
0: And a, a couple of more things, uh, from this game, it was weird because Trevor Harris's performance and his stat line kind of looked like Zach Kilaros's numbers mm-hmm. earlier in the season. Remember early in the season, Zach Kilaros wasn't putting up the productions. I mean, his touchdown interception ratio was always good. Um, but he wasn't throwing for that many yards. And then the second half of the season happened, and all of a sudden Zach is throwing for like 250, 260, a, uh, you know, a game. And now, if you're another CFL team, you're looking at Winnipeg and you're thinking, Oh, my head hurts trying to break this team down and you know, figure out how to win. Um, and the other point is when you rank the East Division quarterbacks, especially a Jeremiah is playing for Hamilton um in the postseason. If you rank the quarterbacks at his best, Trevor Harris is the best quarterback in the East division. And if I'm Toronto or I Hamilton,
1: that scares the hell out of me. Yeah. Well, I guess my question is where's McLeod Bethel Thompson at his best. Like if Um, if if we're going at their best, because I can make the argument that Jeremiah Masoli at his best is better than anybody, but we just haven't seen him at his best for, I don't even want to put a label of a time on it. It's just consistently we haven't seen him at his best since maybe like 2018 with June Jones when he was ringing it up personally.
0: Yeah. Um, I think Trevor Harris at his best is better than the other two quarterbacks. Really? Um, I just, yeah, I just, I, I think back to that um, East final um, well, here's, in Ottawa here's when he was playing for the Red Blacks and he would he torched the Ticats. A good Ticats defense. And it wasn't even close. It, it looked like two different styles of football.
1: Right. And that's that's where I was kind of going with two different styles of football is I would rather take Jeremiah or McLeod Bethel Thompson at their best than Trevor at his best. Because the style of football that Trevor's playing at his best is going 21 of 24 for 250 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. and It's not explosive plays. It's not game changers. It's control the clock and chip away and move down the field. McLeod or Jeremiah at their best is... 38 of 45 for 340 yards and four touchdowns and it's explosive plays and it's deep shots and it's so I I don't doubt what you're saying that Trevor Harris is a very talented quarterback and at his best he can he can win you any playoff game down the stretch I mean his great cup history might not show that but yeah uh, but he can give you an opportunity in any game if he's at his best I just in terms of the style that I think you might want to really change the game I would say it's jeremiah or mcleod playing that more more aggressive style but with that being said i watched jeremiah play a very aggressive style this past week and because we didn't get jeremiah at his best they get the doors blown off yeah and and that's the conundrum you run into
0: but to your point i think it's and at their best is kind of a weird moniker to put on it in terms (laughs) of you know what that sounds like and then obviously what the quarterbacks look like on the field i just think trevor harris at his best it's easier to replicate right yeah. where yeah. in ottawa those, i agree. you know dink and dunk passing um you know style of attack i think that works over a longer run than the jeremiah let's chuck the ball down the field let's take you know chances and i definitely think that's better than mcleod bethel thompson because mcleod bethel thompson i said it earlier he is a gunslinger and sometimes if you're able to you know sit on his routes you're like okay we can go him into you know some dangerous plays especially downfield as you know Ottawa did uh, you know last week and that would not worry me if i'm an argos fan just cuz i think the the roster as a, an entire roster in a 2021 season i think the argos have the best team simply you know if i look at a whole of playmakers on both sides of the football i think the argos have the most but from a quarterback standpoint, if Trevor Harris can, you know, continue this rhythm that he's finding in Montreal and William Sandback can you know, run for over hundred yards, that team's going to be hard to beat. And even if that team's yeah. on the road, I would hate to play them. Um, and for the Ticats, another situation that would scare the hell out of me. If you decide to go back to Jeremiah Masoli is. Masoli lost to Montreal and he lost to Matthew bleeping Schiltz that that would scare me um, if, I, if I'm Hamilton. And now you have to go against quarterback. That, had, when he was in Ottawa, he, he got the better of you in the postseason. I, again, I get it in Edmonton. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the Ticats got the better
1: of, you know. Man, Noah was the, the wackest thing of the entire weekend was seeing the number of people in the stands at Commonwealth for the men's soccer game on Friday night. Hell like, yeah. Seeing, but being, seeing people in the stands at Commonwealth after a year that the Elks have had, it rattled me. Seeing those stands actually being full of human beings, I'm like, man, that's what that looks like. Okay, good. Uh, by the way, I just decided that this podcast is going to be called Marshmallow Quote at His Best. Uh, that's what this is going to be called. <laughs> okay. uh, but I, I, I agree with you that it is more—I don't want to say easy—but it's more possible to replicate the way that Trevor Harris plays at his best, and uh, and that I think it bodes well for Montreal. The other scary thing I'll mention as well for Hamilton, Kyle, there's there's some you know scary things here if Trevor plays at a high level or whatever what if you put dane evans in and you're whether it's home or away especially scary if you're playing on the road in montreal but if it is home or away against montreal in the east semi you put dane evans in maybe he gets the start this week against saskatchewan he looks pretty good you get to that game and in the first half it's 80 percent time of possession towards montreal because william standback is churning it out on the ground and then it's like, well, who gives a damn who your quarterback is at that point? If he's not touching the football, it doesn't matter. And, and that's the danger that Montreal gives you is they might get to a playoff game and they might have a nine-minute drive where it's like, well, <laughs> if we have the football, you can't yeah. score. And now we are lowering, uh, you know, the opportunity to have that disparity of, of time of possession. And, uh, and that's, that's, whew, man, I mean, there's a lot of ways Montreal can win football games and, we say all of this and they might go into an East semi and get their doors blown off, or they might shock everybody and be playing in the East final against Toronto. And Hamilton's year comes to a shocking end real quick. You know, the Ticats have done a pretty good job this year against the run. Um, so William standback
0: scares me a little bit less in a matchup against the Ticats. Um, but I think, and again, going back to Hamilton, I think the, production of their defense directly correlates with the success of their offense when because i've seen them fade against toronto fade against montreal in the fourth quarter why their defense was on the field the entire fourth quarter because yeah. their offense just couldn't get a first down and if you're going to do that in a playoff game if trevor harris is on the other side i i worry for you know hamilton uh, in the playoffs
1: Crazy year. You're just looking back on it and talking about the ups and downs in the East Division, it's been it's been fun. It's been crazy and all over the place. But uh, last one that we got for you here of the weekend, Saskatchewan Edmonton. Uh, I mean, Saskatchewan finds a way to win twenty nine twenty four down the stretch. Uh, I man, this was a this was a weird one in a lot of ways because you could feel the tension in the crowd, and they end up coming out of it, and locking up that two spot and having the uh, the uh, Western semifinal be and in, in Mosaic and all the rest, but uh, man, William Fletcher, I mean, he is, he's fun for Edmonton. I think that he's got a future in this league, which you can always say about running backs at this time of year, but uh, I would be, I would be hesitantly excited for that playoff game if I were Saskatchewan fans right now because Calgary for the most part in the last couple years has had Cody's number and now you're going to throw playoff pressure on top of everything else with it and it's going to be I talked this past week about Toronto Hamilton being great theater Western semi on the same day as the Eastern semi we just talked about the danger of Montreal going up against Hamilton home or away. This one's in Saskatchewan, and there's been times this year, including Labor Day, where Cody's been playing at home and he's been really frustrated by the way a game has unfolded and it's gotten to him a little bit. Uh, fireworks. This has the potential for fireworks in a Calgary-Saskatchewan matchup based on what we're seeing from these two teams down the stretch because our, our analysis of Calgary was they look very good. Dave Dickinson has got them in the right place, and Reggie Beckleton's coming on, on and on and on. For Saskatchewan, it's Duke Williams is super fun. Uh, Cody is still figuring out how to use him and I think the offense is kind of building themselves out around what's possible with him Uh, but they they have moments where Saskatchewan looks like a fringe playoff team and they have moments where they look like they could drive the length of the field on you for six straight minutes and complete nine out of nine passes and score touchdowns so they they're a they're an inconsistent interesting piece of analysis to try and figure out what the riders are right now.
0: Yeah, so uh, just one thing um, on, on this matchup between uh, Edmonton and Saskatchewan. Um, do you think uh, Edmonton finally ends their losing streak against Toronto on a Tuesday night? <laughs> just <don't>. because now <laughs> the Argos know what they're going to do, right? They're playing in the East final
1: at home. Yes. Yeah, I, I have a hard time with this. I did have a funny conversation with one of my friends this past week where uh, I said, if you thought people hated Elks football, already this year wait until they see them three times in six days <laughs> i was like that'll really drive home the fact that oh this is not a very fun team to watch for most of this season but uh yeah we'll see what what the rosters end up looking like when they come out uh you know today because the game is tomorrow which, <laughs> which feels weird as hell to say but that's the reality uh edmonton is such an uh how they were able to not have more success and I'm not even talking in the grand scheme of things. I'm talking like this season, like to go through this year with this many different people coming in and out of the lineup. And now you're finding like, Oh, Jalen Tolliver, that's a nice talent. He's got some speed. He's got some re- running ability. Also I called him William Fletcher earlier. It's Walter Fletcher. I called him William Fletcher because I was thinking William standback still because he lives rent free in my mind. Um, but Shai Ross essentially has become their top Canadian I think in a, in a lot of different facets because Matthew Betts and Quagu Bolatang have not produced uh, as much as you would like them to throughout the year, and it's like well, that's not really good enough. And I, I think there's just a lot of holes that they're trying to figure out. But I I do wonder whether or not we see Arbuckle because this to me is the the real interesting question for the last two games of the year for Edmonton is do you withhold Arbuckle and then sell people in the offseason for season tickets etc. of hey, uh, he's got potential, you haven't seen it yet, but we think this guy's great, or do you put him out there, hope that he, because it's a risk-reward, right? If you put him out there and he's great, you help yourself massively going into next year. If you put him out there with this team and he doesn't play well, because a lot of guys are not going to be super motivated to play for Edmonton, especially when they're coming in this short of turnaround, and you put yourself in a spot where it's like, well, we've actually hurt ourselves going into yeah. next season, which next season's coming a lot quicker than people realize based on how, how late in the calendar we are. We should be talking about uh the division finals essentially this week and we ain't even in the playoffs yet.
0: Yeah. Um it's interesting that you bring up the outlook for Edmonton because I think you have to revisit everything in the organization to Brock Sunderland as general manager, to Jamie Elizondo as head coach, because you did have you know, certain weapons on your offense and you did not use them at all this season. Mm -hmm. And now you're trying to figure out what you're going to do moving forward in terms of your quarterback situation. I think Taylor Cornelius has gotten a lot better um, towards the end of the season. I just want to see when the pressure's on and what he is um, because he hasn't had pressure on him at all this season because edmonton has been out of it, it seems like for two months. Um, And If you're going to sign up season ticket holders with Nick Arbuckle um, and we can go back and discuss, was anybody in the CFL more damaged by the pandemic and the missed season than Nick Arbuckle? Because before the pandemic, it was like, oh, Nick Arbuckle, he's kind of an unknown, but he has shown, you know, so much promise in Calgary, goes to Ottawa, never plays for them goes to Toronto, loses the starting job, gets traded. And now in Edmonton, they're asking themselves the question, do we play him late in the season to see what he has? And what happens if he plays and doesn't show anything? Does he get moved again? No. Because if you're Brock Sunderland, Jimmy Elizondo, they already signed him to a contract though. <laughs> I understand that, but let's be honest. Contracts in the CFL don't yeah. mean squat, right? And if... You're those two in Sunderland and Elizondo, you're looking around and thinking, man, this was our throwaway season next season, the pressure's on. And if we're bad again, we're both going to get fired. It's a very quick turnaround. You're both gonna get fired if the elks come out in the 2022 season and they're two and ten for twelve weeks. You're done. You're probably getting fired.
1: I don't think um, they I don't think they get to two and ten. If they're looking like that to start oh, exactly. the year's season, it's like a it's like a month and it's like mm, yeah, we're done.
0: So you know, those two need to have a hard look on if the answers are in-house and if they're not, it's time to go to America and search, you know certain colleges and negotiation lists and potentially bring somebody else in because that it hasn't worked this season not even close
1: I'll say this about Taylor Cornelius you mentioned just in passing there that he has gotten better I agree like I I really I do I've seen a little bit of it here and and I think we've overblown specifically on the television side his progression because we want it for Edmonton, for that fan base, is to say, hey, look, here's your ray of shining light. I don't think he's going to be the starting quarterback. I think Arbuckle is going to come in and do a very nice job there next year. Hell, maybe even for the last two weeks. We'll see. But at the same time, I look at it and think, yeah, you know what? He has shown some evolution. It hasn't been forced. It hasn't been rushed. It hasn't been week to week where we're going, wow, he's great. I've, I've seen little bits of, of positives. I've seen improved pocket movement, knowing when to use his pocket movement, knowing where to spot the football. But I do have to say this. The end of this game, you are down five points. Why did you throw a ball sidearm fading away dangerously into the middle of the field as if you had tickets to a dead end company show that you had to get to? <laughs> what like what was that? He because he, he has I, the freedom to play like that because
0: Edmonton have been so bad like i said the pressure hasn't been on him at all this season right to to get the job done in a you know a crunch moment and get a big win for the organization
1: we've it talked has, a lot about him being an Oklahoma state quarterback and i said i just don't trust Oklahoma state quarterbacks because the the way that Mike Gundy trains those people's brains is throw six interceptions that's fine we'll throw seven touchdowns and it's like that's fun. And it's why the Big Twelve is kind of crazy. I watched TCU Oklahoma State by the way Saturday night. What a beatdown. Uh but but Oklahoma State, that is the mentality of their quarterbacks. You go back through basically the whole time the Gundy's been there is that like, that's what he wants from his quarterbacks, is tall, strong guys who can throw it a quarter mile and uh you know, throw it through a brick wall. And they have this mentality that they can get away with a lot. Oh. That's that's not how professional football is played. Like you cannot do, you can get away with that in the Big Twelve. You can throw those six interceptions, throw seven touchdowns. I guarantee. You in the CFL, you throw four touchdowns. You're not just throwing five touchdowns. or th- throw four interceptions. You're not throwing five touchdowns. You're getting pulled. Like you're done. And uh, and I think he's got a lot of learning to do on the on the understanding of when and where to be dangerous with the football. Because again, we, we've talked in this episode about Zach Kalaros, twenty five pass attempts, high efficiency. Take your shots when you need to. Second down. Same thing with Trevor Harris, twenty five pass attempts high completion percentage, Knowing you got to take your shots, make the most of your opportunities in the score zone with those throws to Geno Lewis for t- two touchdowns. You don't have to always make the crazy yeah. play. And to me, Cornelius on that one, he was... He just seemed very disinterested. The way that ball came off his hand was like, I don't think we can actually do this, so I'm just going <laughs> I'm just going to take a shot and see what the hell happens. It's like that's not what you want to see from somebody who's trying to lay down in-game film for coaching staffs to review in the off
0: Yeah, and for me, Taylor Cornelius is very similar to Mason Rudolph and I know, you know, it's an easy comparison, but he is the Mason Rudolph of the CFL, yeah. right? Um and again, you know, tying back the the Mason Rudolph uh, thing to Taylor Cornelius is like Mason Rudolph plays against the Pittsburgh Steelers, by the way, played for the Pittsburgh Steelers because, you know, Big Ben got COVID and their idea to win the football game was, oh, we have the backup quarterback and let's throw the ball 50 <laughs> times in a 16-16 game against the Detroit Lions. Uh, I'm like Mike Tomlin what are you doing you like trying to just move on and take the high pay coaching uh, job yeah. in college football because this is this is not the approach that I would you know put with the Pittsburgh Steelers um but as for you know Cornelius and, and what he can do moving forward I think he has shown something yeah. like I said in the second half of the season um I just can he beat out Nick Arbuckle for a starting job in training camp. I don't know if he can. So I think next year he's going to probably be a backup quarterback as well. But uh, only time will tell. Now, as for the team that won the game, uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders, I think that was the performance that they needed mm-hmm. where they showed some offensive punch. And again, it was against inferior opponent in, in Edmonton. Um, but I thought Cody Fajardo played well, and that was his best game in a while. Yep. Um, as for their ability or inability to run the football, it continues. And it's weird because I, I don't know how they fix it now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just, I feel like the enticing nature of having Duke Williams on your roster has put them in a spot where they're like, we'd like to have William Powell going. We think he's an important piece. We'd like to be more efficient running, but if we're not, eh, maybe Duke is the answer. Maybe he can. It's just, for us, man,
0: so. in a, in a West final yeah, Winnipeg, Richie Hall, he's going to find a way to stop Duke Williams and not at least slow him down where it's like, we are going to double team this guy
1: and you're going to have to use somebody else to beat us. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you 100% on that. So uh, I just saw a headline here, by the way. Uh, sometimes you open up Twitter and you're like, well, either the the headline writer or somebody else is just c- crazy about this, but uh, three people killed, hundreds injured. So that was what drew me in where I'm like, oh man, there was there like a bombing or was there a shooting or something terrible that's happened out there? Three people killed and hundreds injured from scorpion stings.
0: Oh, I heard about that.
1: During thunderstorms in Egypt. What does that mean? There's a bunch of scorpions? But why did the thunderstorms play it? Do I have to read this story to end the episode? Here we go. Heavy rain and thunderstorms in the Egyptian city of Aswan have caused a deadly scorpion infestation, which has killed three people and injured at least 400, according to the Middle East Eye. Authorities issued temporary road and travel restrictions and ordered schools to be closed. Whoa. But, like, why do they – but why do they – Aren't you happy to live in
0: Canada where we don't have scorpions or lo- weird I... stuff that can kill us like that?
1: Well, I mean, the weird stuff that we have is typically pretty beautiful, though. Like, I was driving one time in Alberta, and I saw a moose running across the road, and <laughs> it, it disappeared into the woods. And then, I, and then I parked where the moose was because I wanted to see the moose tracks. And the snow on the side of the road on Highway 93, the Icefields Parkway in Alberta, was, like, two or three feet deep. And the hoof print was all the way down three feet in that thing, and I'm telling you, this moose was like four feet clear of that bank. I'm like, was that moose seven feet tall? Because <laughs> I'm doing the math on this. I'm like, that thing would crush me in a millisecond. <laughs> it was the Joel Embiid of moose. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, but I'm like, it is beautiful though. That's a wondrous animal. So uh, let's dive into the three-minute warning and uh, wrap up the show for you here today.
0: Get ready, get ready. Let's
1: go. A little urgency. Here we go. Let's go. We're almost out of here. This is the 3-Minute Warning brought to you by... Today, it's brought to you by uh, Ainsley McPhail. Do you know who Ainsley McPhail is, Kyle? This is kind of a traditional 3-Minute Warning send-off. So Ainsley McPhail... Uh, works for CTV in Winnipeg, and she is, uh, I believe, doing the weather out there. I've seen some pictures and things of her at, at Bombers Games this year and uh, seems to be embracing the local fair of Bombers Games and all the rest. And I saw a tweet over the weekend that made me laugh, and I wanted to bring it to everybody in this Monday morning. That was uh, Ainsley McPhail working in Winnipeg, Covering the weather, Uh, looks like working very early mornings and uh, experiencing what Winnipeg winters are all about as we head towards a December 5th Western Final there for the Blue Bombers. A big
0: shout out to Ainsley, who came by and picked me up when my cab didn't show up this morning. Thank you, Ainsley. What's happening out on the streets now? I don't know what's happening on the streets, Terry. I actually can't see them because I'm barricaded in the parking garage right now. (laughs) A few minutes later. Ainsley! mail still hasn't made it out of the garage. Our news director is driving me because we couldn't actually get the news vehicle out of the parkade. It's my first Winnipeg winter and I am terrified. Oh no! <laughs> You're going to have to go and give that guy a hand. Is Winnipeg even real?
1: They said it was cold and they said it was windy but I did not expect to be in a parking lot downtown and not be able to move. You guys, I don't even know where to begin. I'm just standing on the side of the road. My director's like, you want to zip up your jacket? I'm like, I can't even feel my hands. I just pulled here. I'm going to try and grab a shovel and I I think there's a guy over there who's going to help me out uh, to pull me out on this parking lot why did anyone leave the house today like i know i want you to tell you guys all about this but seriously the rest of you stay home bishop in westbound good luck because you're probably
0: in one spot right now
1: <laughs> so uh, i love that oh, yeah. her, i love that her approach she's on camera for ctv in winnipeg and they throw to her and they're like hey what's happening with the weather and she just goes why would any of you leave home <laughs> like she's just talking directly to the camera like you're all idiots if you decide to leave home like please do not leave your houses this is awful out here i love how every one of her hits just got progressively worse yeah and i
0: was just waiting for the why did i move to winnipeg Oh, and then, you know and then she comes back
1: i quit i quit i'm done <laughs> <That's> <laughs> i gotta find just just to send us off here i need to uh play us out with the uh, what's the sports guy doing out in this hurricane? Oh. Uh, because uh, anytime, that we, yeah, here we go. Anytime that we have uh, the, the the sports people or people who love sports that are trapped out in a, a weather condition that is unfortunate, like Ainsley McPhail there, I need to play it for you. We will sign off and play this for you on the way out. Have yourselves a great Monday. Thanks for tuning in as always. Don't forget Fox 40 and Salda City for supporting us. Give them your unadulterated love. Is that the term? Unadulterated? <laughs> Unfiltered? <laughs> Unfiltered. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. All right, uh, Phil, listen, I love you. You're the best. I've been texting you. You're the best, and you know that. Here it comes. Let me ask you a question. All right, listen, when the... Uh, baseball all-star game was at Marlins Park. Did I ask you to go out and cover that?
0: (laughs) I was at home watching.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, okay. Phil, hey, Phil, when the Heat won three NBA championships, did I ask you to go out and cover those games?
0: Uh, No, you did not.
1: Phil, Phil, when the tennis is on his game. when the (laughs) golf used to be at Doral, did I ask you to go out and cover those events?
0: I owe you. I owe you big time.
1: Phil, Phil Farrow, what Ah. the hell is the sports guy doing out in this hurricane?
0: We love you. Are you
1: insane?